Hello, my name is Richard Pietro, and welcome to the Skinopathy Podcast, where we go beyond the medicine and take you behind the scenes to show you how the healthcare bureaucracy works and tell you the stories you don't always hear about. And as this is our inaugural episode, what better way to launch than doing a deep dive into sunscreen as part of UV Awareness Month. In this episode, we will look at the culture of sunscreen usage and how skin cancer is often forgotten as a serious health hazard. We will also examine the support structures that exist for those suffering from skin cancer, as well as the advocacy, education, research, and fundraising work being done to thwart this growing scourge. And to go into those details, we have two, potentially three guests who have intimate and comprehensive knowledge on skin cancer. They are Mary Zawadzki, Manager of Patient Programs for Melanoma Canada, Natalie Richardson, Operations Manager for the Save Your Skin Foundation, and we might have Heidi Valu, the Executive Director of the Canadian Skin Cancer Foundation, but she's kind of running late a little bit right now, so she'll be coming in most likely towards the middle of the episode recording. So with all that being said, I want to start our conversation with this question. The title for this episode is Skin Cancer Has No Cachet. So for example, breast, colon, lung, and prostate cancer, they all have huge international movements. Yet skin cancer is kind of lost in the mix, even though there's more cases of skin cancer each year than all those four other types of of cancers combined. And I'm curious, Mary, why do you think that is? Why do you think skin cancer has no cachet? Yeah, that's, I think, an excellent question. Um, Something that certainly comes to mind would be uh, the myth that it is just skin cancer, that this cancer just remains on the layer of the skin. It can be quickly removed. Um, And so I think until there is a much broader understanding that skin cancer is a serious cancer, that um, people need to take it seriously, and that um, there is a propensity that this cancer can spread if not detected early. So I think that for me is is one of the primary um, contributors to that is is this myth of it is just skin cancer. Natalie. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agree. Well said, Mary. I think another challenge in this space is that um, in Canada anyway, all of the uh, cases of diagnosis, skin cancers diagnosed, whether it be basal cell, squamous cell, or melanoma. Melanoma is documented, but all of basal cell and squamous cell are not. And then the rare types as well, such as Merkel cell. Um, so as you said, Richard, skin cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer, and that does include the uh, you know primary or surface um, uh, basal cell and squamous cells, but they're not all recorded by physicians or by the, the st- statistics system. So that uh, is also a contributor. The actual numbers are probably higher than what uh, we are even aware of, which is, you know, over 80,000 Canadians per year are diagnosed with skin cancer, um, melanoma being the most serious. But as Mary said, all of, the, all of them have the potential to metastasize, and that is life-threatening. You just said something 
that shocked me. And I've been working for Scanopathy now for about a year and a half. You just said that basal cell carcinomas and squamous cell carcinomas are typically not recorded as a statistics in actual in, in the healthcare system, at least the Canadian healthcare system. I think that needs to be explored a little bit more. Like, why is that? Is it a function that it's just forgotten? Is it a function of something completely different? Like, let, let's <laughs> tell me more. Well, yeah, there are a few factors, and Mary, I'm sure you can add to this, but um, one of the one of the reasons is is quite often physician awareness. So depending on your your center or your family physician or dermatologist or um, whichever first treating physician that may come in contact with patient to make this diagnosis, sometimes uh, if they believe that their um, skin, if it's a skin cancer that uh, they just see on the surface, they might just burn it off and not even do a proper biopsy and pathology. So might not even have known that it was a, a skin cancer in the first place. So that's one reason it wouldn't be recorded. And another, there are so many um, and awareness among physicians and treating centers are not always, it's, you know, it's not always the same across rural areas and different parts of Canada. So um, between that and then the actual reporting system, which I can't exactly comment on, you know, not sure exactly what decisions, you know, how that's decided, but we do want to advocate that there should be more uh, recording of these statistics happen. So we have real numbers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly, certainly agree. I think um, for me, I, I would certainly say the aspect of these cancers being um, diagnosed and assessed in the um, physician's office, so being that frontline physician, um, if there is no um, system in place where that physician can easily, um, <clears throat> I think, keep track on a national level um, so many of these um, occurrences are not going to be captured. Um, certainly once they metastasize and need that referral to an on oncology center, that's a different conversation. But I think um, certainly as Natalie was suggesting, um, that for me, I, I would agree, is is one of the biggest proponents there. Um, and uh, I, I think certainly, again, thinking about this being one of the most diagnosed cancers, um, that is um, a heavy task load to manage um, these high numbers of reporting um, and whether or not there is, um, I think, a, a team, right, uh, established to oversee this is, is quite, an, quite an undertaking. So uh, even in the melanoma space, um, certainly thinking about um, diagnosis at various stages, um, there is a lot um, that still needs to be done um, in that space too. Um, so I think all forms, <laughs> all forms certainly need um, the support, the recording, the statistics. Um, even when we look at the Canadian Cancer Society statistics that are released, um, we are just capturing in there the statistics pertaining to melanoma. So it can be certainly uh, a challenge, I think, as well um, for our organization to um, ensure that um, these targeted responses um, are um, being proportionately met. Um, so going off guesstimates, <laughs> going off of um, uh, unreported data, I think makes um, our work really hard too. Um, and to understand 
the from the patient perspective. Um, certainly, we get that uh, on the front line, or I get that on the front line speaking to patients on the phone. But I think um, there is certainly um, importance when it when you come to think about research as well, right? Targeted research. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of different contributing factors that this lack of reporting is going to have and does have. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, you know, it's funny because um, we, I loved how you started the question, Mary, earlier, which is like, in, in people's mind, it's just skin cancer, which is probably the, the brand of skin cancer. And having what Natalie said that even doctors treat it as just skin cancer probably perpetuates mm-hmm. that same kind of, it's not a big deal. It's not that it's not a big deal, but it's not as big of a deal as it should be because it definitely, and this is one of the things that we talk about internally here is that it might not kill you. It may not have the, the morbidity, uh, the mortality, I think, of, say, other cancers, but it will affect your well-being, right? Like if you get, you know, you get, you know, basal cell on your nose, on your face somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. you will live with that scar. You will live with that for the rest of your life. And it, mm-hmm. it might not kill you, but it does affect you. But I mm-hmm. want to go back to, uh, just for clarity for people, uh, the word metastasize was thrown around a couple of times here and there. And Natalie, I'm just going to go back to you on this one. Uh, what happens when a cancer is metast or skin cancer is metastasized? Mm-hmm. Well, melanoma is the most most common form of skin cancer t- known to metastasize. Um, but in general, with any one of them, whether it's uh, basal cell, squamous cell, Merkel cell, melanoma, or other um, forms of that. When it metastasizes, it can move to your lymph nodes, your lymph node system, or your organs if it's a stage four diagnosis or metastasis. So a stage three would be the lymph nodes, and a stage four would be into organs such as lungs, adrenal glands, um, brain, and so on. So basically what you're saying is with melanoma, it's more likely than the other ones, but it is likely for all that this little skin cancer thing that is just skin cancer could lead to lymphoma, could lead to, oh, sorry, maybe not lymphoma, but a different kind of, sorry. For those of you who are listening and not seeing this as a clip, potentially, (laughs) Natalie just sort of did the, uh, uh, Richard, hold on a second. Uh, uh, Correct me, please, Natalie. No problem. Lymphoma is a different type of cancer. Uh, If melanoma or another skin cancer metastasizes to your blood or lymph node system or an organ, then it is still that skin cancer. It's melanoma uh, metastatic or metastatic basal cell or metastatic um, squamous cell. Gotcha. Uh, And now I want to shift the conversation a little bit to the actual protection of your skin. Now, Mary, you deal with patients all the time. It's, it's sort of your bread and butter. Um, I know that for me, it's, I'm training myself to put on sunscreen, Mm -hmm. but I'm also, I'm a very pasty white Frenchman. That's sort of the, my ongoing joke that I've been saying for like 25 years now. Um, so I'm, I'm very cautious. Like I, I don't tan, I burn and it hurts. But there's a lot of people that don't put on sunscreen. They don't think of anything. If, if quite the opposite, a lot of the times they mm-hmm. want to go out and essentially promote skin cancer by getting that healthy glow of a healthy tan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you can speak to that with some of your patients. Like maybe they were sun worshipers at one point in their lives. And then all of a sudden they're like, I'm changing my whole perspective on this. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, <clears throat> certainly I meet with patients on um, all ends of the spectrum because um, there certainly is a component to consider as well um, genetics, right? So I think mm-hmm. um, patients do um, present with having certainly a history of sunburns, um, sometimes a history of utilizing tanning beds. Um, uh, sometimes there had been this notion that um, if you've got a base tan before going on vacation, um, mm. that was um, a protection factor. Um, and Actually, is there's it? no, <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, you like, I, I think in in uh, some of the um, uh, sort of research or um, uh, awareness campaigns, they say like this, this is maybe like a SPF of a three or four, <laughs> which is nowhere near uh, sufficient, which is nowhere uh, in terms of the cost benefit that we would ever promote to get a base tan um, at all. So I, I think, yeah, you're going to have people of all ends of the spectrum. Um, and I think you mentioned like vanity certainly um, can come into play here for sure of what we see in the media magazines, movies, right? Um, So there's a lot of impacts on this um, in people's lives, but certainly sun safety uh, is key. Um, And when we think about having these conversations, whether you have a history of skin cancer or not, everyone needs to be practicing this every single day. I think there's this notion in Canada that you have a heavy focus on the summer months, but it's 365. <laughs> um, and uh, in terms of thinking about those behavior changes, it needs to be that every day. So I usually talk to patients about putting it beside their toothbrush, the sunscreen, uh, putting it at the edge of their um, <laughs> of their tub if there is someone who showers every morning. And it just becomes that routine. It's just that second nature that, hey, I put this on and you don't have to uh, think about it, right? It, it, it does take time to establish a habit, um, but there are tools that you can use to establish that. And I think keeping it simple is important for people too, right? Not um, thinking about um, uh, so many different strategies that you're not going to use and do not feel good to you. So when you think about sunscreen, you want to choose something that you are going to wear, right? That's comfortable for you. Um, and that you, when you put it on your skin, you're not saying, oh, I hate this. It feels so uncomfortable. Like that's not going to be the motivator to, to use it, right? So sometimes there's that trial and error for patients. If they hadn't been an avid sunscreen um, wearer and they were just using it while they were going outside for an activity or they were golfing or fishing, um, there is sometimes for sure that that period that um, takes time <laughs> to make those changes. But um, I, I think, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's definitely a lot of change. And we want to make sure that when um, someone is diagnosed with melanoma or skin cancer, that we think about how do we um, continue to live a full life, right? Um, conversations do come up around the fear of the sun, right? And um, that I, I think can affect people on many different levels, especially if you were um, an avid hiker or an avid golfer, or um, you were someone who spends a lot of time outside with the children, right? There's um, a lot that people consider giving up, right? Um, 
so it's it's a very important conversation that I have every day, <laughs> um, but uh, one that I think can easily be um, changed and integrated into your life um, as long as you are willing um, to do that trial and error period for sure. I don't Natalie, know if that answers your question. <laughs> I think it did. I think it did. Yeah. And actually, I want to shift over to Natalie because unless I'm mistaken, Natalie, I believe at one point in your life you have been diagnosed with a skin cancer. Am I wrong in thinking this? Nope, that's correct. In uh, 2014, I was diagnosed with stage 3B melanoma, uh, which means it had traveled to my lymph nodes. And uh, I received several surgeries and then immunotherapy treatments to um, combat that. So I'm happy to say I'm no evidence of disease at this time, but I do have CAT scans every six months and uh, I'm under heavy surveillance for the rest of my life. So um, patient survivor that hat I wear differently depending on the day and my feeling about it um but also you know everything that Mary has said is is true that's a very important information and it is um very it, it's a topic that we also speak with patients about all the time but it's also very important for the general public to know this information as well everyone should wear you know their sunscreen and also know that sunscreen is part of a an overall uh sun protection plan. So staying out of the sun in peak hours, uh, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., um, wearing your sunscreen, wearing hats, protective clothing, sunglasses. Um, there are cases where that's difficult, say for outdoor workers, um, but there are precautions that you know should be taken by the general public to prevent becoming a patient. Um, that's something I didn't know anything about before I was diagnosed, but I certainly uh, eat, sleep and breathe now. And I want to touch on that for a moment. But first, I, we talked earlier about like, well, it's just skin cancer and it might not kill you, but it will affect your well-being from like even like a physical presentation perspective. But you said something particularly, particularly important, that eternal vigilance. For a lot of people, once they have skin cancer once, especially if they have a genetic predisposition like Mary suggested earlier is, is very real. Um, your lifestyle changes completely in terms of, you mentioned like you have CAT scans every six months. You probably do self checkups much more closely, kind of like, you know, checking for cavities for yourself and while you're brushing your teeth, maybe it's just, right. it's a very different experience. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that, how, how you personally have had to change your lifestyle because of this very serious diagnosis that you had from melanoma and, and, and how that can be a bit of a cautionary tale for people moving forward. And also, you know, some people might not think like, where does a CAT scan fit in the context of skin cancer? Because it's usually for broken bones and brains, but uh, yeah, if you could. That's a, no, those are all good questions and I'm happy to share. Um, it was a very difficult, um, difficult diagnosis and a lot to learn um, as it is for all patients diagnosed with a metastatic cancer of any kind, but especially skin because of, you know, getting back to that, um, not knowing, you know, not, not having a cachet or, or being well publicized beforehand. I didn't know anything about it. So now um, I, you know, have devoted my life to learning about it and to educating other people. So it has changed my life in the way that, um, I'm very, I live every day to the fullest. And of course, working in this field is, is very fulfilling. So that's a big part of that. Um, but to try to help other people deal with the, the, the fear and the insecurity and the shame that can happen with a diagnosis mm -hmm. with skin cancer. Um, 
and then of course personally it it does affect i'm always worried about my health i'm watching for any changes in my skin but also on the inside and that's what um the cat scans are for as well ct scans monitor for um um metastasis to lymph nodes it looks for swollen lymph nodes or uh, any kind of um, evidence of a tumor or mass of any sort in, in the organs i mentioned earlier um, that's how they check you know I, I get checked inside out and uh, all patients with a diagnosis should you know should be followed that way mary um natalie and i have had a chance to speak a few times in the past which is why she was very kind enough to, to share that story with me in the past have you been personally affl uh, afflicted with uh, skin cancer of any kind? Personally, no. I have um, <clears throat> I have had family. Yeah. Um, certainly, my my physical features um, for for you that can view me um, certainly lie within the high risk category. So yes, um, I I have been vigilant um, in my uh, sense safety. Certainly, um, taking this in consideration, um, but yes. Um, thankfully, um, I have not, but you, uh, your, your job is every day speaking with patients that are dealing with skin cancer, many of them not genetic by reason. They probably, you know, it's something Natalie said, and, and you're so right when you said there is some, a weird sense of shame that comes with getting skin cancer, because I'm assuming it has to do with, I, I should have been more cautious. And there's that. Perhaps I'll be a regret. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But you, Mary, you see a lot of these patients every day and you deal with them directly. How, like, what's the process of dealing with those feelings? And as, as both of you guys have support organizations for patients like that, like, what are some of the tools that you offer patients in dealing with having such a diagnosis, whether it's, you know, heavy duty melanoma or even if a BCC or something? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you, did you want me to start? Yeah, yeah, no, okay. yeah, Mary, go for it because you're right in there with the patients every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the type of um, support and services that we offer, um, I think, um, certainly number one is is our phone um, service. So um, anyone across Canada can call me, um, and that is sort of our introduction to kind of learn about uh, what support uh, is needed. Um, so further from that, um, I offer uh, individual counseling uh, to patients and caregivers um, to talk about how to manage um, this new journey. Um, and uh, we also offer uh, monthly support groups um, so that patients in a peer model can um, connect and learn about um, different journeys, different stages of disease, um, and to learn about the impacts on other patients. Uh, we also have a peer support program, so you can be matched individually uh, with a patient or with a caregiver um, to, to chat, to learn about their lived experience, to learn about what was helpful and supportive to them along their journey. Um, we also have a variety of uh, online educational resources. Um, so I think patient education is certainly key, um, especially for those newly diagnosed. That is um, a very big question. Um, they call and said, okay, the biopsy came back. This is what I have. What do I do? Who's going to talk to me? What are the next steps? <laughs> what should I be preparing? How am I going to tell my spouse? How am I going to tell my children? So we, we talk about a variety of different topics, but certainly, um, this guilt and taking on the ownership of what did I do to cause this? 
why why did I get this? Um, and I, I think again, it's it's really about um, validating that person's experience, uh, understanding sort of where this is coming from, and and kind of working together to um, really combat um, that negative uh, thinking, and as well as um, uh, learning about how we can take control, right? Um, when you're diagnosed with cancer, a lot changes in your life. And I think focusing on purpose, like Natalie said, focusing on um, areas you do have control of, and really working through those thoughts and emotions around that guilt and shame, and um, taking ownership around past uh, choices that you made. Um, It's a really difficult process when you're trying to wrap your mind around all of the appointments, scans, thinking about treatment. So um, it ebbs and flows with people and there's ups and downs, there's good days and bad days. And I think just having that listening ear for people can make the world of a difference. Um, and so that's that's what I try to be for people. It's just sometimes just that sounding board, um, just so they can talk and not feel like if I said this to my friend or family, um, how's it gonna affect them, right? Yeah. So. Um, landing I, ear. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to give Natalie uh, the same opportunity to speak a little bit about some of the work that Save Your Skin does. I know you're, you're more, I believe, on the operations and perhaps, you know, strategic side of things. Uh, but at the same time, you do a lot of great work. So uh, please share that with us. Thanks. Yes, we do. Uh, we do have the peer support uh, and one eight hundred line and monthly support chats as well, and um, and the, all the kind of patient support uh, opportunities as well is very similar to what Mary described. Um, and we also work very heavily in the uh, education and patient advocacy and um, advocacy for access to treatment and helping patients navigate the healthcare system. Um, until you're a patient, you you may not know. You know exactly how our system works in Canada and it's uh it's wonderful in many ways and it has challenges in many ways and so we are there for patients to help them navigate and figure out how to get the best care especially in rural areas or uh in in areas other than where a treatment um, center may specialize in a metastatic skin cancer diagnosis because they're not all the same and they're uh they're not easy um so we offer those kind of resources as well and um and educate patients on, you know, what they should, what questions they should be asking their, their healthcare team and what steps they should take to look after themselves and how, how their day-to-day, you know, and, and futures can be affected by the choices they make now after a diagnosis. Yeah. It's, uh, it's nice to know that organization like yours exists um, because it can be traumatic. It can mm-hmm. be confusing. And especially what you were saying, Natalie, if I've learned anything working here is that a lot of people don't understand how much they got to advocate for their own healthcare a lot of the times, do mm-hmm. their own research yeah. and go out there. And so uh, you guys are great resources that way, which lends me to segue into another great organization. Heidi Valu, the executive director of the Canadian Skin Cancer Foundation, has joined us. And Heidi, uh, one of the things Natalie just mentioned that the Save Your Skin Foundation does is education. And I do know that the Canadian Skin Cancer Foundation is also very much involved in education and particularly particularly your son safety program where you're, you're really trying to reach them young, almost like, a, I think it's like grade fours and grade fives and almost creating that, you know, 
that I remember when I was growing up nagging my parents to put on their seatbelt in the car, right? That was sort of the way to, to get them to, to, to ingrain it in their head. It's almost as though that's what you're trying to do with young children when it comes to sun safety. Am I wrong in thinking this? So our program, we have a sun safety program and we just finished yesterday, uh, last day of school. So all the kids are out. We primarily teach sun safety in schools across Canada. This is the first year across Canada. And because of COVID, we went virtual. And we hit around 9,800 students this year. And we teach sun safety. So we go from talking about what that means to be sun safe, how to check your moles, sunscreen, all that kind of stuff, because this is simply something kids don't know about. So, you know, compared to other countries, we're kind of 20 years um, behind. And uh, we are just uh, compared to other countries like Australia and a lot of places where they have growing skin cancer rates. So in Canada, we're trying to be kind of that first line of education, aligning with the health curriculums of schools in those grades. Right. So was it grade fours and grade fives or are you younger? It's grade six, but we get grade fours and we get a lot of grade requests for grade three. Um, and, you know, um, we just looked at uh, our year. We do post-tests with teachers and with students. and We really get great um, reviews. We know that we're increasing knowledge about sun safety and um, and this is important. So, you know, repeated messaging about why you do things. So, I mean, I was there when when it was uh, stop drinking and driving, right? And where I was like, man, did that take a long time? How could we not figure that one out? Um, and, and, and smoking. I mean, it's, you know, unfortunately, they're still vaping. So these are things where you have to keep on public messaging. Um, and, and we use volunteers from dermatology clubs and universities across Canada to present because we try to do peer-to-peer learning where we're seeing young people who are going to be our future dermatologists or nurses or health practitioners talking to kids in grade five and six and they're 20 and they're like this is what you should be doing so you know there's a huge shift in saying you know the color of the skin you're in is just fine and you don't have to change it and um, some of this stuff we know a lot of our definitions of beauty and tanning and all this stuff, we are saying we have to look at that. And is that really what we want to be doing? Right. And um, so shifting that conversation, talking to kids where they actually say, oh, that's something else I have to do. They know how to brush their teeth. Right. We, you can ingrate in habits. Right. But kids don't always uh, control the pocketbook. So who's going to buy that sunscreen and make those things happen? So. Um, and it is an effective program, and it also helps a lot of uh, future health practitioners learn how to talk to kids. Um, we do have an example where someone who used to teach in our program as a volunteer is now a doctor, and they get their students to all volunteer with us because they're like, you know what, this is good information. We do You don't learn enough about this in med school. Here's a way to really learn about how to talk to people about this. So, you know, it is amazing to have Patient support groups like the two groups here, Save Your Skin Foundation of the Melanoma Canada and Skinopathy, because all of these are different tools in the continuum of addressing skin issues in skin cancer. And you can use these different tools versus just accepting that, well, this stuff happens and skin cancer is no big deal. It is a big deal. It's costly, but it's also preventative. And so, you know, um, what is interesting for us, a lot of our donations are people who are like, I wish I knew stuff and I want to support you guys teaching a classroom of kids um, because I just didn't know. 
And my parents didn't know it's not their fault or anything, but you know, a major sunburn increases your rates of skin cancer or melanoma greatly. And we know that and we need other people to know that, right? It's super preventable. Actually, and I don't want to expand on that question. This is a question for all of you. And I don't know who to ask this question to, because you all come in in very different aspects. You do a lot of the same things, but also very different at the same time. But uh, one of the things that we talk about quite a bit in, in the space is uh, the continuity of care of patients. And you guys are definitely part of that continuity of care, but we know how hard it is to find specialists, especially in Canada, that can help. In your experience with the different patients that you guys have seen, with the different experiences from simple BCC to something that's more drastic, what would you say is perhaps the biggest gap when it comes to patient care, when it comes to skin cancer in Canada? Is it at the front end? Is it that prevention element? Is it a diagnosis? Is it the treatment or the support, like, do you wish you, you guys, I mean, everybody always wants more money naturally, but where do you think uh, would be the priority for you guys when it comes to the patient continuity of care that needs the most attention today? And whoever wants to go first, <laughs> Natalie, you laughed. I just heard you laugh a little <laughs> bit. And, well, and I'm sure her. we're, I'm sure we're all going to say the same thing, but um, it, it, I mean, all of the above, everything you mentioned, there definitely needs to be improvement in, in our system. But at diagnosis, I, I think diagnosing uh, the diagnosis process and uh, what happens, you know, out of the gate for patients is the it has the biggest gaps at the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, we talked a little bit, even from a diagnosis perspective, sometimes it's not even recorded statistically to keep straight records uh, of, of what's going on. Uh, Mary, Heidi, do you have thoughts on, on this? Yeah, certainly. I agree with what Natalie um, was indicating. I think the frontline physician um, providing that early diagnosis or most appropriate referral. Um, So our organization uh, established an accredited program for family physicians to target um, this learning. Um, So to really assess when to biopsy, type of biopsy, and how to complete uh, an appropriate referral. Um, There's also, I think, another um, aspect that um, is certainly extremely important and something that is very underserved is patients with skin of color. Um, So I think Uh, understanding how these skin cancers can present differently in patients with skin of color and how to provide access to um, the earliest diagnosis. Um, Again, this is is also a project that um, we're really passionate about and we'll be releasing two courses for family physicians um, in the coming months um, to address these and, and to enhance their learning. Um, because I, I certainly think there is, again, that uh, myth, um, skin cancer does not know color. So everyone um, can be affected by skin cancer. So certainly, Natalie, um, I, I definitely agree is that early diagnosis um, is, is key. Heidi, any thoughts on, on where the, the biggest gaps are? Or if you agree with both Mary and Natalie that early diagnosis is is the big gap right now? Yes, I, I totally agree with that. And also, you know, our project was a health promotion project and uh, just trying to 
you know, have an understanding about how to promote this kind of health aspect and it's, it's new messaging, right? And it's not embraced yet, right? So, you know, you shouldn't have to get this messaging because you got a diagnosis, mm. right? So that's kind of a shift, but it, it, it's, it's not easily played. Um, getting funding for what we do. I mean, it took a lot of political lobbying on my part to say we need an education program in schools. And uh, we were in the schools long before they asked us. So it was, it was, again, it was patience. Uh, you know, uh, it, our organization was formed because a young person lost his life to melanoma in three short months and he was a nursing student. And his friend said, let's start educating in the schools. And the teacher said, you bet, let's take this information. So, you know, it could be part of curriculums. You know, there's many diseases out there, but this one is preventable to an extent, right? And so, you know, continuum care isn't just you've got a diagnosis. It's there's many health issues and how do you create educational awareness and awareness about this? Because we don't really, we're, you know, we're a northern country. We don't think this happens, but man, we love our, our few summer months, don't we? <laughs> you know, to hot places again. So, you know, things will shift and um, people just don't know. So continuing care goes through the whole line. Mm -hmm. And yes, access early to physicians who are properly trained in diagnosing is integral. First of all, I will say this, uh, Natalie is not allowed to talk about nice weather as she lives in British Columbia. Uh, so she's in a constant state of nice weather. Um, but uh, you bring up something interesting, Heidi. And again, I want to go to Mary, Natalie and everyone on this which is you mentioned about lobbying lawmakers and policymakers. Um, where in your guys' experience lie the skin cancer? I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what the word would be here, but where do, from a political perspective, is skin cancer just not sexy enough to really land and, and be something with say like lawmakers and things along those lines? Or is it just, again, they just don't know? Is it something perhaps completely different that, you know, we don't really talk about the political forces that might be at play here. And I'd love to just spend a few minutes on that. Whoever's got a few thoughts because you guys are much closer to it than I am. Again, and this is for anybody. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people nodding, uh, but I, I, also, I also understand if you don't want to put your foot in your mouth for future potential reasons. Uh, so I'll leave it up to you if you'd rather I change the subject. <laughs> no, I think it's, uh, you're right, Richard. It's a, it's a combination of things. And the, this, you know, reporting and statistics, it's not sexy enough. It's not common enough. You know, having said that, you know, skin cancer is the most common cancer in the world because melanoma, the, you know, and the, is the most dangerous, but it's a smaller number, you know, just roughly 8,000 people in Canada are diagnosed per year. That 8,000 is huge to us and to our community and to those who are diagnosed and their families and caregivers and friends and loved ones. But in the grand scheme of our population, that is a small number. So we do deal with uh, the fact that, you know, melanoma used to be uh, considered a rare disease. It was considered a rare cancer. And now it's, it's unfortunately becoming, you know, it's still growing. Um, but in the scheme of you know, all of the skin cancers, as we said near the beginning, um, being the most common, you'd think we'd have more weight behind our uh, advocacy um, efforts. And we work on it every day. Mary, I'm sure you'll be able to echo and Heidi as well. So I'll let you 
you know, take it from there, but it's a combination of factors and it's, it's a, it's a tough space and it's, it, it people, you know, patients and their families also do move in and out because unfortunately we lose, you know, thousands of people per, per year in Canada as well to skin cancer. So as, as the family and, you know, continuum of care keeps coming up in this conversation as well, but as, as families and patients and the general public work through you know, the process or the journey or experience of a cancer diagnosis, such as uh, one of the skins, it it may not be something that they can advocate for their whole lives. So we, you know, or it's a short time or, yes. And, well, and here's another thing. Sun safety um, and and exposure to sun exacerbates all cancers. So, you know, healthy lifestyle, uh, you know, so, you know, there's genetics and then there's, you know, you shouldn't smoke and you should have a healthy diet and there's a few other things. But when you go to any um, cancer specialist, they're going to talk about your exposure to sun and it does exacerbate other cancers because it is a mutation of your cells. So it's not just melanoma will be your result of your exposure there's multiple factors of which I'm no doctor, so I'm not going to speak to that, but it is a factor um, with other diseases. And, um, you know, so it, sun safety isn't just about skin cancer, but it is about other cancers and other skin diseases are highly exacerbated by exposure to sun. And so, um, you know, all of these have health costs and, uh, you know, we really do have a lot of people who are still getting sunburns. And so, you know, um, that's an education piece. And and um, we get educated on all sorts of stuff. So it is, you know, it's that public information method um, um, that can be out there. And it's engaging people. And so it's not just having a website with some of the information. People don't go to websites. They don't go find them. They go to them when they're worried about something. So how do you animate mm -hmm. and bring information to the public well you have to think of interesting ways to do it and um and so well, actually, that's what we try to do you bring up a good point heidi because i'm going to go to mary on this one and we all saw the story what brian red hamilton did <laughs> for skin cancer in the course of the last six months the gentleman out of vancouver who the, it made national news at least in canada it did mm -hmm. about like just uh, i think it was a resident uh, so you might want to get that thing in your back checked out or, or in your neck checked out. It, yeah. it got a lot of play. It got a lot of play. Yeah. And, and Mary, I know you guys, uh, you know, are, are working with Brian on a number of different fronts. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and how it's helped the movement in general? For sure. I, I think um, just aligning that with the um, previous question, I think when there are numbers right behind the buy-in of the messaging uh sometimes it takes a familiar face sometimes it takes that celebrity um sometimes i i think if you feel um almost moved by that story the likelihood of progress and of change and of people joining forces is uh, much more likely so yes brian um certainly after uh his diagnosis has become quite uh, the advocate. Um, and through his journey, again, like you said, Richard, there was um, mass pickup on social media, the media in general, uh, just really highlighting, right, that um, aspect of um, early detection 
And also the aspect of being that support for someone else, right? Um, I think um, when um, we think about how melanoma is more likely to be detected, it's by patients themselves, right? Or those um, closest to them that spark that conversation that um, really um, proceed to um, seeking that that physician. So yeah, uh, he um, certainly, I think, brought skin cancer to the forefront um, here in Canada um, and just talking about what that meant to have a complete stranger um, notify you <laughs> that, hey, you have something suspicious on the back of your neck, go get it checked out. Um, that I, I think was such a, a real story. And, and um, I, I, again, I think when we have those um, uh, stories of, of just something so unique, right? They were at the hockey game. She was the Kraken fan. Um, and just that, uh, I, I guess, um, almost serendipitous moment that she was sitting <laughs> behind <laughs> um, and she got that look, right? That glance, um, such a quick glance too, right? Um, to be able to say, hey, I want to help this person. Um, because those can be difficult conversations to have, um, but certainly advocates in this space um, is definitely important. Um, as organizations, we cannot do this work alone. Um, so when we have people who want to give back or who want to make those changes, it is key for us to learn from them, to hear them, and to support them um, in those spaces of advocacy. Um, because it, it is, I think, key to our work as a community um, to say this can happen to anyone. <laughs> and these are the faces of people that this can happen to. So, yeah. So uh, we're actually right up on our block, our recording time block. And I want to make sure that all of you get a chance to, to say a few words about your organization, how you can be reached, and anything in particular that's relevant to, to, the, to the message that we just didn't get a chance to to hit on. And Natalie, I know you need to leave uh, in a few moments. So I'm going to give you the sort of first kick at the can, as it were. Uh, talk a little bit, you know, what is that we missed uh, that you'd like to make sure to mention? Or anything in particular coming up with the Save Your Skin Foundation and how, of course, you can be reached? Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Richard. Well, it's uh, it, I think it's been a great conversation and there's so much more we can talk about. So uh, I look forward to doing that some more. But um I think the biggest piece to remember, and we've all touched on it, is the skin is our largest organ and we have to take care of it. And it takes care of us if we take care of it. Um, do monthly skin checks, uh, have professionals, you know, look at you if you need to have a referral, request one, you have the right to ask for those kinds of things. Um, and making use of the kind of technology that that Skinopathy and Get Skin Help, you know, that you, the stuff you guys are doing is fantastic and gets those tools into people's hands um the general public needs needs to be aware of the importance of skin cancer and the potential impact of it and uh be vigilant every day so um you can find save your skin foundation at saveyourskin.ca uh you can contact any one of us there at info at or natalie is myself natalie at saveyourskin.ca and uh we just hope that uh this information is helpful to many and Keep going. Uh, Mary, uh, any last thoughts you want to share or how they can contact you? If there's anything upcoming with Melanoma Canada 
that you want to tell everyone? Yeah, certainly. I think this, again, has been a really great conversation. I think there's so many things that uh, we can discuss and all work together as a community on. So this has been really inspiring to hear all the great work of the uh, fellow organizations here. I think uh, in terms of all of the uh, upcoming uh, initiatives that we have, um, I, I would direct you to our website, melanomanetwork.ca. We have a lot coming up, uh, especially um, now that um, we can return to in-person events um, and uh, we'll be uh, moving around Canada and doing great presentations, great in-person initiatives. We have some uh, golf tournaments coming up. Um, we had, um, yeah, just a really great Melanoma Awareness Month in May. So those are always, always important initiatives um, that uh, I think, again, keeping up to date uh, would be on our website. Um, that is key. If you want to reach us, we are 877 560-8035. Uh, my extension is 108. Um, and again, uh, there is so much, uh, I think, to learn. Um, and we hope to be that hub for patients, caregivers, interested people um, to, to come and access our information and support us as well. So um, yeah, don't hesitate to reach out to us. And Heidi. Well, thanks for everybody else's summary. Our biggest thing that we do is education in the schools. Um, and so we're just finished because school was finished yesterday. So the kids are out there having fun. Um, and in the summer months, we do a lot of education and engagements in festivals where now that they're back and parks and places across Alberta. So we're not everywhere in the summer because we are geographic specific. Um, so yeah, right now we're full with events for the summer where we actually hand out sunscreen donations and engage with people at different festivals and events. And so it's mm -hmm. a good reminder. They usually know and say, I forgot. Yeah. So, yeah, so you can look at our website for our educational resources and book us uh, next year when the school season's on. And uh, uh, both of yours is uh, uh, URLs that are real fast for everyone. Uh, sorry, Heidi. CanadianSkinCancerFoundation.com. Mary? MelanomaNetwork.ca. Wonderful. And I, I want to thank you guys both, and uh, Natalie Richardson, of course, as well, for joining us today. Uh, that was Mary Zetz Mary Zetzwaki. Mary Zetwatsky. Mary? Is that right? Zawatsky, yes. Zawatsky. And Mary Zawatsky from Melanoma Canada, Heidi Valu from the Canadian Skin Cancer Foundation and Natalie Richardson from the Save Your Skin Foundation. You've been a wonderful guest for our inaugural episode. And uh, I want to thank the audience for listening today. And like any other podcast, any other sort of social media that you'll consume, you know, if you like it, like it. If you, sh you know, share it, leave us a rating, leave us a comment on how we can make things better. Or if there's any guests or any stories you'd like to have feature. So... All that said, I'm going to try to bring it up a little bit and say to you that until next time, you can always go to GetSkinHelp.com, have that suspicious lesion or skin condition checked out by a skin specialist, and keep that skin healthy. Mm -hmm.